Welcome to episode 129 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And despite what Sam Gash says, we are in fact continuing to Welcome to, to the <laughs> bonus episode of Tim Talk, where we never talk about the DC animated universe anymore. <laughs> we are actually back this week on our, our topic at hand. Zeta. Zeta. And Young Justice. <laughs> probably next week, actually, on Young Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully we'll be cut up by then. But uh, no, actually, I, I, I mostly enjoyed these episodes of Zeta this week. They were fine. Yeah. I, I, it's improving. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that by the end of the season, we'll go like, oh, okay, this thing has finally figured out what it wants to be. And now it's gone. And then it'll be canceled. Yes. <laughs> like many shows, it takes some time. Uh, but before we get there, of course, we have news to discuss. We do. We've got some trailers, little bits of news. Uh, shall we talk about maybe the most prescient but least important piece of information first? Flash? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah while on the uh, the press tour for It, uh, It director Angie, Andy Muschietti? Muschietti? Muschietti. Muschietti. Sure. Let's go with that one. Mm-hmm. Let's go with the last one. Andy Muschietti uh, has reaffirmed that the Flash movie is happening to absolute silence. Yeah. No one cares anymore. No one cares. When did we get our first director? When did they first announce the Flash movie? 2014? Uh, I mean, would they have announced it? I guess they would have announced it before BVS came out. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's, let's assume 2014. I'd say maybe the end of 2013 at the earliest. It's been five years this movie's have been in quote unquote pre-production. Although I have to say, I did watch It Chapter One recently. That's really, right. Really, really, really good movie. Um, not that that necessarily gives me hope per se for the Flash. I feel like it won't be the director's fault when that doesn't work well. Yeah. But hey, you know, at least there's some talent behind it. Uh, so we got that little bit of news. We got a couple trailers this week. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the new trailer for Titan Season Two? I did. It got me less excited what okay what about it made you less excited it <clears throat> it, it felt a little more clunky and it, it reminded me of what we'd already seen where i feel like the first trailer we got it felt like a new show almost yeah uh and then seeing this one i'm like oh right this is still a clusterfuck okay look it does look, it does seem like a clusterfuck after watching it, I had two thoughts. Like, one, this seems more like what I wanted the show to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of exciting. It looks like they're now maybe set up in their version of the Titan's Tower, yes. like some version of it. And it seems like maybe some iteration of this team existed in the past. And Slade Wilson like took me down the first time. So like, there's, there's stuff in there I do want to see. But it also looks so painfully serious. Mm-hmm. It's just like the opening montage of shots. It's just like really terrible dialogue and just really forced drama that isn't landing. Well, I think that's why the other trailer looked so good. There's no dialogue. Uh, yeah, that's probably that's probably part of it. Yeah, because a, a lot of this cast is uh, not fantastic. They're fine. They're they're doing their best. Mm-hmm. Oh, we also haven't seen Jericho yet in any trailers. Uh, he did show up in this trailer. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, very very briefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, it looks like there's me a lot. I, I hope your theory is wrong that this whole season takes place like inside. That that was only Dick's one mind. of my theories. My I think my other one is is probably more accurate, where it's like uh, Triton is just on Earth. Trigon is just on Earth now. Yeah, and he's like, you know, Raven, I'll give you two years to cultivate your power a little more. Then you're mine. Yeah, 
It's probably gonna be something along those lines. But I mean, I don't know. I, I, I will, I think, give it a shot. I mean, I'll watch it. I think so. I. And we'll, what else am I doing with my life? I know, right? Well, we'll loop back to this at the end of the episode where we're gonna be talking about the boys. But I think as time goes on, there's gonna be less interest in more straight down the line versions of these stories like Titans and more interest in stuff like Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that in regards to the boys. So we will get to that. Um, but actually kind of along those lines of like weird versions of things, we did get also the final trailer for the Joker. We did. And first reactions out of the Venice film festival. Let's start with the trailer. What did you think of the new trailer? It looks great. I mean, I don't really have anything new to say that I haven't already. The yeah. movie looks, I'm, I'm excited for this. You are? I didn't realize I you were excited for this. I thought we were in the same boat. Are you not excited? I mean, maybe no. maybe it's just from the reactions now. I mean, hold on. Let me rephrase that. The reactions that we've been getting now make me cautiously optimistic. Okay. Because I feel like these are the same reactions we got. Like, the, the one where it's like, uh, Joker had a seven-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. I'm like, I think... BVS had a very similar headline come out when that movie was released. Yeah. Also, what are people doing for seven minutes? Yeah. What's the longest you've ever given someone a standing ovation? Uh, when Tom Holland came out last week, that was like that was like a good minute. <clears throat> it comes back around. Yeah. But no, I mean, there, there was a, a, a great. People's hands get tired. Like, are they doing it in waves? Yeah. It's like, okay, this section of theater, you have this forty-five second chunk, fifteen minute pause, fifteen second pause. Yeah. Next group. Next group. Yeah, it, it's Tabata style. It's just a big old workout. It's what Tabata? What is Tabata? It's a it's a workout regimen. Uh, started in Japan for Olympic uh, skaters. It's it's like a twenty seconds on, ten second off, repeat. Kind of okay. So you so you go as hard and fast as you can for twenty seconds, and then you have a ten second break, and then you repeat that for like three, six, or ten minutes. So it's like interval training. Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But the guy who created his name is something something Tabata. Okay. Or Tabata something something. I don't well, know. I always he's a, love, he's a very famous Olympic coach. I do love when you pull random, often Japanese references <laughs> into the podcast. Well, I mean, so, this is this is a workout. So thank reference. you for that. <laughs> this is not a Japanese reference. This is a workout reference. I just happen to know that he's Japanese. Okay, I'll give you credit for that then. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was a great post. Uh, it, it had the headline, and the bottom was like. I think if Jesus came back down, I'd maybe give him like 45 seconds. I saw that same one. Yeah, the same tweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of true. Like, I don't always trust when movies get like these crazy standing ovations. I also... Okay. And also, like, I, when they say standing ovation, is it one person clapping for seven minutes? It's just or Shia LaBeouf the, yeah. in the back of the room. Just, yeah. Also, I watched Peanut Butter Falcon this week. Yeah. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to talk about that. Well, yeah, I'll talk about that later. Yeah. But good old Shia LaBeouf. He's back. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I... The second trailer looks better than the first trailer. Yes. And based on the reactions getting so far, it seems like critics are particularly excited about this movie. Mm -hmm. Now, that needs to be taken, I think, with a bit of grain of salt... Because I think critics can sometimes be biased against movies, anything comic book movie. So if this is like the anti-comic book movie, they might be like extra knob slobby about it. Mm-hmm. Also, I think a lot of people assumed this was going to be a mess 
And so it's a more interesting story to like it than to dislike it. Yes. So this is Grain of Salt. The additional Grain of Salt on top of that is, like, despite everything, I am very biased against this movie. Despite the fact the trailer looks good, despite the positive reactions, I'm still not really keen on this movie. And I'm having to try and, like... It's almost like you've been hurt by something like this like before. Something like this before. Well, it's... I'm trying to adjust my mindset going in so it's a bit more open-minded. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to figure out what it is about it that makes me very hesitant. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is the same problem I had with Logan. Which was, this might be objectively a really good movie. But if you give us, or even a great film, if you give us a great version, a great film based on a sort of Elseworlds almost take on this character when you haven't yet done a great version of the character on their own, like a a more original version of them, Mm -hmm. you lose something for me a little bit, right? It's like part of the reason I like that first 20 minutes of dark Phoenix, like, Oh, this is the the bit of X-Men I've always wanted to see, even though like the other X-Men movies had, yeah, where they are the heroes. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's the idea of they haven't yet given me the version I want to see. So that then really comes on to me. That's like, me being like the so angry DC fanboy. I'm the problem. I'm the angry DC fanboy. It's like, this isn't my Joker. But it's not. And it'll be interesting to see how this movie is received, how well it does, what terrible decisions Warner Brothers decides to make off the back of this. You know, because I... I'm, Put him in the cowl. It's Joker Batman. I, I wouldn't surprise me. It would wouldn't surprise me. You know, I love a good Elseworlds story. I love an alternative take on something. I think it works better in the comics as like one of the the animated movies or one of like an episode of a show. Because, something like on like DC, oh not DC, on a Disney Plus style yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Because then it's sort of, it's a little bit more niche. Mm-hmm. So it, you're not trying to make it a mass appeal situation, which I think oftentimes works against the film but also it exists in a broader context where you're getting a more original version of those characters right and so you know even like Heath Ledger's Joker is a pretty big departure in terms of specific elements but like thematically and at its core that is a really accurate interpretation of the Joker I think you know Jack Nicholson maybe on the surface level a bit more original like similar to the character but like performance be a little bit skewed but like there are those elements there mm-hmm. and i think here the thing is is that nothing is reminiscent of, of the character right it's like it's not even in a world where batman exists yet yet we still have the bet going on yeah exactly so we'll see but i, I don't know like i'm i'm still very skeptical but i'm trying to like mentally open myself up a little bit to this mm-hmm. and not be the the whiny angry the cold-hearted heart locked in a case at the bottom of the ocean i mean i will never stop being that all right Mm -hmm. i will always be cold and heartless and lacking emotion but i can be open-minded that is a mental exercise yes so i should give that a shot at some point uh yeah i mean it's we have what a month yeah basically Mm -hmm. we'll watch it We'll, we'll talk an, about we'll it. We'll do an episode on it. We'll push Zeta some more. Yeah, exactly. Just keep up. I mean, we're, 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 we're almost there. We're getting close. I think we have like maybe three or four episodes left on Zeta. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I have one other little bit of news that I want to talk about, and then we can jump into Zeta, which is Kevin Feige recently was talking about uh, the Eternals, and specifically the fact that there is the, the first openly gay character in that film. As far as I know, we haven't gotten confirmation of which character it is yet. Um 
I think the current rumor is that it might be Richard Madden's character, whose name mm-hmm. I cannot remember. Rob Stark. Rob Stark, exactly. Uh, the but, King of the North. Oh, King of the North. I told you that the, we had the chant going on. Yeah, at yeah, D23, everyone, everyone was all about the King of the North. Uh, no one cares about him being Prince Charming. No. All right, I tell you, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I... So what Kevin Feige has said is that the character will be married, he'll have a family, which I'm like, okay, great. Always love that we're getting, uh, you know, uh, an openly gay character on that large of a scale, but... I do have a quibble. Okay. Which is... How can I qualm your quibble? <laughs> qualm it? Yes. I don't think that's the right use of the word qualm there. No, I'm pretty sure it's right. <laughs> okay. Continue. All right. <laughs> calm your quibble. Calm that's, my that's quibble. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, Icarus m- is Richard Madden's character. Thank you. My concern, or my issue is, this is always how they introduce gay characters. Like they basically will introduce a gay character in the guise of a hetero relationship with a same-sex partnership. Mm -hmm. So it's, we're going to introduce this character as a committed, monogamous, family-oriented, gay male character, which obviously that exists in the world, and I'm not slighting that. Not in West Hollywood. Not really (laughs) much in West Hollywood, though. But, But, I mean... There's a big baby steps. It's babies. And look, and baby steps are great. And I will always appreciate that. But it also is presenting it in a very familiar context. Mm -hmm. It is presenting it in a very palatable context. Like there's a big difference between a gay character who's in a committed relationship with a family versus a gay character who's like out actively dating Mm -hmm. and experiencing that very, very different worlds and very different perceptions too. And I get that the the MCU by and large is a very non-sexual universe. I think we even talked about this on a ranking episode. There's like one basically like sex adjacent sequence that's from Iron Man 1 and everything else is pretty... Oh, the, uh, the opening scene of Iron Man 1. The, the opening scene, yeah. It's like the only time anyone ever gets laid in the <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. So I get why they're going with this, but I, for me, I would have liked it to be a bit more ambitious in its scale. But at the same time, I'll be very happy when it happens that way. Have we had a gay villain yet? In anything? In anything? Uh, I mean, we've had a lot of coded gay villains in like every Disney cartoon for like sixty. Well, I mean, years. outs outs because because my there was a, a decom called Zombies. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go into it, but I'm going to go into I'm, it. You have to go into <laughs> I it have now. To go into it now. Uh, it's it's. It's the exact same premise as... Um, Warm Bodies? No, as Descendants. Okay. Uh, it's a world where the zombie apocalypse has hit, uh, and it's like 60 years later, they found not a cure, but like a, a way to keep the zombies at bay. Okay. Uh, but there's still like a very harsh discrim- like discrimination against them. Mm-hmm. And so it's the first batch of zombie kids being let into human school. Uh and like the one, the main character is like, I want to play human football and not zombie football. Uh, it's like, no, you can't because you're a zombie. The main villain in that is a very flamboyant male cheerleader. And I love it. <laughs> like he's like this. He's like the coolest one at the school is the male cheerleader. I'm like that. That's the dream world. I want to okay, be in. But is the character coded and implied heavily to be gay or is it ever actually acknowledged that he's gay? It's never acknowledged. Okay. But those moves. 
Because that, that, again, I haven't seen it. Because that actually is kind of a critical distinction. Yeah. Right? It's like, if it is heavily implied the character is gay and they're villainized, that's not always necessarily good. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to have the positive representation before you can have the negative representation. Yeah. But if you can't even acknowledge that it is (laughs) negative representation, it's still not necessarily great. Um, Also, that, that movie sounds really, really bizarre. It's so bad. As most decoms are. I mean, it, it's, but it's it so sounds, funny. It sounds like a very clunky allegory for like the unification of like mixed race schools. Oh, it 100% <laughs> is. Oh, because <laughs> there's even the point of like zombies can't because when they lose control, they're stronger than humans. And they talk about like the athleticism of zombies. Like this is 100% a racial movie. When was this made? Like three years ago. And does it seem like it is a... Um, oh, we're getting a sequel next it, year. Is it? Is it a? Uh, how do I phrase this? Is it a effective commentary on that part of our history and maybe reflections on its sad reemergence in some places in contemporary society, or is it a really, really ham-fisted like illusion? Oh, really ham-fisted. Okay, good, yeah. great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was worried that it might have been uh, actually progressive and helpful in its own way. No, not at all. It's okay. a musical. Touche, touche. Okay, I've what oh, fucking decoms. I don't know. So you can watch it on Disney Plus starting November twelfth. That's true. We absolutely can. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like I've just been spending like the last twenty minutes basically criticizing movies for trying to do good things, and me deciding I don't want it that way. So I want to stay the same. <laughs> Stop maybe, trying to change me, entertainment, Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, I could go to therapy and work through why I have these sort of no, feelings. No, that's why we have a podcast. Exactly. I would rather force my opinions and work through these sort of things on my own. Yeah. And make other people listen to me mm-hmm. while I do it. Uh, but shall we move along? I mean, you're basically to- like three steps from Alex Jones. Uh, well, funny enough, we have a sponsor this week, and it's a very specific kind of diet pill. Yes. Uh, you would also find them on Alex Jones' site and also on the mm-hmm. famed site Goop. Yes. If you, if you are always... If you're worried about your local frogs being in too many gay relationships, we have the product for you. Absolutely. We have some pills you can just pour into your water supply. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll eventually get into the rivers, and it'll make sure those frogs stay nice and straight. Yes. Yep. Can't have any gay frogs around here. Not around here. Not around these these parts. parts. All right. Should we continue? Do you think there are frogs in West Hollywood? I don't know if there's There's no water. water. There's no water, so there wouldn't be. Because if there were, they'd be gay. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's go ahead and talk Zeta. Uh, like I was saying, I thought these were actually pretty decent, all things considered. Um, I, th- I thought the first, so the, the first one we're going to talk about is rescue mission. Yes. Resume mission. Sorry. Resume mission. Yes. Uh, this is another one where we continue to expect, or I continue to expect the exact same storyline to come out, which and is, they still don't do the storyline, which storyline, which is a like human robot connection. Oh, okay. Because I was expecting, uh, so the, the premise is, uh, an 11 year old boy who is very reminiscent of kid genius. Yes. Uh, somehow f- like, is given the memory chip of IU seven. His dad works for a, um, a machine shop, mm-hmm, a chop shop. No, not a chop shop. I mean like a, um, like a mechanic. He's a mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, like a few blocks away from the hospital. So I guess somehow he's able to get old tech supplies that the hospital's getting rid of for free, basically donate and gives them to his son to work on. Mm -hmm. And amongst those supplies are the remnants of IU seven from when he was destroyed in the super MRI machine at the hospital. Yes. End of last season. Um, 
So the kid puts it in his computer. IU7 kind of uses that to rebuild himself. And then the fight continues between him, him and Zeta. And so the story I was expecting was IU7 to be protective of the kid. And the stuff he's doing is a way to like defend. Because he still thinks Zeta is the villain. Yeah. And so he now has a new motive of not destroy Zeta, but save the kid from Zeta. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, so then you have, again, that, that episode we've been wanting for a while. Basically, which is, the Iron Giant. <laughs> yes. You want the Iron Giant in Zeta form. Yes, exactly. And we still have not gotten it. No, because he, the kid plugs in the chip and it restarts. And then IU7 basically uploads himself to the net, as they love to call it. Mm-hmm. And just starts Amazon, I mean, Amazon priming all of his own parts from the NSA. Yes. Which is great. And the dad is so, I love how nonchalant he is. Is this the new worst parent in the DCAU? I would say it's the best parent. The best parent? Yeah. Hey, look how supportive he is of his of his kids' dreams. I mean, he's supportive of the kids' dreams, but he also is expecting his kid to just get massive shipments. Doesn't even make a comment like, oh, looks like you got a new box from the NSA here. No, he said uh, you have your second package of the morning uh, uh, out here. He says, what are you building? He's like, oh, just a new model. Uh, it doesn't even say like, oh, do we need to talk? He's like, nope. I think so. Yeah, like, so he tried. Okay, I mean, I guess. I Honestly, that's if, for trying. That's an award. That that's a contender for best parent. That's true. He at least he's trying. Yeah, the bar has been set so low by every other parent in this Just universe. Just asking, is everything okay? Is like the peak of parentage in the DC universe. That's <laughs> actually really sadly true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we now have the world's best parent in all of the DCAU. Yes, we have found the best parent of the DCAU. The dad. No, we can't because Jonathan Kent. Ah, oh, Jonathan and Martha are pretty damn good parents. Yeah, they're yeah. they're definitely peak parents. Okay, wait. So outside of Jonathan and Martha and Jason Foley's dad, I don't know if the dad has a name, Papa Foley. Mm-hmm. Outside Mr. of Mr. Foley. Mr. Oh, right. Wait, who's Mr. Foley? I don't know. I, I couldn't place the name, but I know in Danny Phantom, there was a Tucker Foley. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're thinking of? I guess. Maybe that's it. Okay. That, was, was there ever like a, uh, a disciplinarian at the school who would like yell, Mr. Foley? Whenever... Mr. Fenton. But would they also yell that for... Every now and then. Yeah. Okay. That's probably what we're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Because the teacher in Danny Phantom is the best because... Uh, uh, his expletives, where he would curse, he would just yell out famous uh, literary texts. Oh, I vaguely recall mm-hmm. this. Wait, what was the teacher's name? Uh, oh, because uh, he, he... Wait a minute, hang on. I don't remember his name, but I remember there was an episode where uh, a bunch of ghosts are possessing random bits of junk at the Fenton house. Mm-hmm. And they... Oh, that's... Like, um, Technus. Yeah, they sell it. Like they, they put all up for like donation or whatever. I am Technus. For like a yard sale. And the teacher buys a razor, electric razor. And Danny's like, why? You're bald. We're like, no reason. And we realize so he can shave his back hair. Mr. Lancer. I think that's who we're thinking of. I think we're just thinking of Mr. Lancer yelling Mr. Foley. Yeah. Okay, wait. Outside of oh, Mom, Pa, Kent, and Mr. Foley, is there another good parent Moby. In anywhere? Gulliver's Travels. Uh, oh my god! Oh wait, no, no. Uh, um, uh, Virgil's dad is a pretty good parent. Mm-hmm. 
I was going to say both of his parents. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Virgil's dad is pretty good. Um, Terry's mom isn't the worst. No, she's pretty good. She's a, yeah. little, she's a little oblivious, but she means well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Richie's dad's terrible. Oh, he, he's the, he's a contender he, for worse. Yeah. Because like he's actually designed to be worse rather than just like coincidentally worse. Yeah. Or just by happenstance. I mean, can we have Shaq as a parent? Because he's kind of his Virgil's second dad. That's absolutely true. With how often he pops up. Also, apparently he's in one episode. I think you have invented this in your head that he's no, in many episodes. No, he's definitely in multiple episodes. Mm, I think he's in maybe two at the I, max. I'm pretty sure it's one per season. I, no, it's definitely not that. It's nowhere <laughs> near even close. I've had multiple people tell me this. The like camera's going to be really upset when we get to Static Shock and he realizes it's only like one or two Shaq episodes. <laughs> In your mind, he's like a like he's, he's, he's like a, a supporting character. He's the sidekick, isn't yeah, he? He's, he's like that background character that pops up often enough, but is never like included in the main credits. Yeah. Uh, no, he's not quite that often. But okay. So the yeah, IU submarine builds himself in this kind of like haphazard, clunky, exposed metal welded sort of ha- version, and he goes back after Zeta. This episode did have one joke in it uh, that I really loved. It's when uh, IU-7 is rebuilding himself. He's ordered a new plasma cannon, right? Mm-hmm. And because he has become like fully functioning and is basically holding the kid hostage and there's like a police presence outside and there's a, a, a cordon. Is that right? Is that the word cordon? It's cordoned off, right? Isn't that a... Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Yeah. It's like a barricade, a barricade yeah. outside. The, the, the Amazon Prime delivery man cannot get in there. And so then the kid gets a, a message based like, your delivery shipment of a plasma cannon could not be delivered, being rerouted. And I actually thought that was pretty funny. This sort of like nonchalant thing, like this plasma cannon is just getting shipped and it's not even going to show up there. But I what, what upset me about that is they have, for the delivery trucks, they have delivery droids but not robot drivers. Yeah. And like, once what again, what future were they imagining? And once again, those poor delivery droids are just getting destroyed left oh, and right. Oh man. Like, yeah. They, IU-7 smashes one of them and kicks it out into the street mm-hmm. where it then bursts into flames. Well, the, the, I thought the other one was worse where he oh, yeah. rams it with his car and then you see the oil drip out. Yes. I was like, okay, oil's dripping because it's going to get lit on fire and the whole place is going to go up. Yeah. Didn't even happen. Uh, it was Chekhov's oil spill. It, it, I feel like it was it was like back in the day with the, the ventriloquist dummy mm-hmm. where like they just had to get all that like <laughs> pent up aggression out. It's like how what's the most brutal way we can destroy an inanimate object? Like, do you want to watch it get shredded? Shipping. Well, because I thought so basically like Zeta tries to take out IU-7 at the kid's house and fails and he gets ripped in half. Mm hmm. And then, which like, do you feel any danger when that happens? Because we know he can repair himself. Well, that's that's the problem. Is I I thought that was going to lead to a moment where Ro then was going to have to utilize all the lab equipment in the kid's room to rebuild him. Mm-hmm. Like I thought we were going to have like a, a minute long sequence even where she's having to think on her feet and to solve a new problem and to like put some stakes in there a little bit. Yeah, but they could have even set it up at the beginning when he's like looking for his shoulder part. To like ha- like show her his schematics. Yeah, and it's like, look, like you know, this is the problem area, uh, and like this is you know where like all my sensors are, and where like this is like my healing core, mm-hmm. um, like my memory, you know, have some some throw off line of like, if anything happens here, I'm gonna be in trouble. Yeah. Okay. So we have this critique 
all the time with this show. We have like multiple times per episode, this idea that they seem to be teeing up something really interesting and don't execute on it. Mm-hmm. Now, do you like, there must be a reason for that. Do you feel like the writers were trying to include stuff and then just due to like the truncated timetable or whatever, or because it was low budget, they didn't have as much time to work on the scripts. Like, do you feel like they were trying and then it just fell through? Cause it happens all the time. You know, the two of us never having worked in a writer's room. What are our expert yeah. opinions on this? Uh, I, I could definitely see it being a budget thing. It could, it could also be just, you know, coming out from higher ups we're in the, this is the, the transition phase of animation where um, the writers are getting less power and the showrunners, the, like the producers are getting more influence over animation. It's mm-hmm. um, so like that could, that could be the change uh, where the writers do want to inc- incorporate all these storylines and the producers are like, well, that might not hit for kids as well. Like they don't want to see, because this is a, a younger skewing show. Like yeah. it's young kids. And I don't think they want to see their protagonist down for very long. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess doing something like that slows down the pace of the story. And I think they're just trying to keep it, keep it fast and keep it light and keep well, it Well, you can keep the pace up with him being injured. I, I just think that they don't want kids to, like, ever think about, you know, potential death of a character. That could be it. Yeah. Except might, every other robot that gets destroyed. It's like all the robots get destroyed. It might even just be like from an animation perspective. Like I could totally see them writing in the version where the lab is there. So Rose got to drag him into the other room and repair him. And then they get to it and like, this is going to take too long and cost too much money to animate. Just have him repair himself. Yeah. Because also when you get into that, you have to bring in a prop designer. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just a whole nother person that has to be part of the, the, yeah. The setup. And they're expensive. I mean, they've gone to aeronautical schools, learned how to make a really effective props. Yes. So. I hate you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cause I mean, again, I want to give the, the writers, the creatives on this, the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Like there is so much underutilized potential in this show that you feel like they were trying to do something and something was getting in the way. And it, I guess the best theory I can come up with is what we just discussed that, they were trying, and then it was just deemed too expensive to maybe animate it. But okay, so they Zeta just repairs himself, and then goes chasing off after IU Seven, who's fled with the kid to go take delivery of the plasma cannon from Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I assumed that he was holding on to the kid because he needed the kid to give the thumb scan to get the part. Because that was a whole moment where yeah. the kid scans his thumb, and then IU Seven destroys the robot. Something like, oh, what did he steal from the robot? I could scanner. I guess I'm not even sure what he takes. Cause, yeah, cause right, cause he does take something from the robot too, but we don't even know what the what that part was. Was it just so that he's like a cannibal robot? I think that's like absolutely what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's got a Leatherface situation going yeah, on. Yeah, he, he's the Hannibal Lecter of yeah. the Zeta universe. Exactly. He's gonna have that plasma cannon with some fava beans. <laughs> yeah, IU Lecter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I assumed that he needed that he was holding on to the kid because he needed the kid to help him take delivery, but then he just literally runs the robot over with his car. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't he thought need, about it. Doesn't even need it all. I will Do say Do you think this was so this around this time, so this episode came out two thousand two ish. Yeah. So this is when like Caprica's whatever was the word? Captchas? Oh captchas? Yeah. Or just is, starting? This, yeah, yeah. And so maybe this is like a like the writers giving their subtle stance on captchas of like he has to keep the kid because they need human verification. He needs proof that he's a human. Yeah. 
You can't have robots ordering robot parts. That's crazy. He has to pick how many squares in the photo have a stop sign in it. The problem being there's one like photo where it's like just the corner of it. And you're like, does that count? I don't think it counts. Does it count? I don't know. Like how much of a percentage of the photo has to have the stop sign in it for it to count or not? I don't know. What if it thinks mm -hmm. I'm a robot? Did you? So I actually watched a, a weirdly interesting video about captchas this week. <laughs> Nothing you just said surprises me. Um, but they were talking about why they had to change the CAPTCHA system over the past couple years. And basically, Google bought the, the AI system they were using initially uh -huh. uh, as a learning system for when they were scanning in old books. Because uh, so they obviously weren't retyping them word for word. Yeah. But if it's like a, a book that's more of a scripty font they would use the CAPTCHAs to, to estimate what each letter is so they could have more accuracy oh. when scanning in older books. Oh, okay. I'm like, that's kind of cool. That is kind of cool, But actually. it makes it really shitty for us. It does. Also, CAPTCHAs were terrible. Yeah. Because like, sometimes you couldn't tell, is it an uppercase or a lowercase? But mm -hmm. it's also case-sensitive. So there was also that verification style. When it was the two-word style, that was a recaptcha. So that's phase two. Okay. I hate that this is what's stuck. I love this is what's like, uh, filtered through. Yeah. So they specifically made it where it was always one word a computer could read and then one word a computer couldn't read. Okay. And that's why one was always impossible to read. Uh, and that was, again, to feed the, the Google AI. Oh, okay. Um, so once it got to the point where computers could read both words, that's when they knew they had to update again. Okay. And that's when we got to the, the really shitty photo system. Yeah. Like now it's basically just click a button. Yeah. So now it's, they haven't actually said what the requirements are, but it's based off of like, uh, mouse movement, uh, reading cookies on the page, uh, and like how long the click is like when you're pressing the button down. Oh, okay. I can see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like <clears throat> if the, the cursor were to go straight from wherever it is, like directly to it, that would probably indicate that. Yeah, it's, it throws some red flags. Yeah, but if it's a human, then it's going to have some flow to it, some slight variations. Yeah, uh, some imperfections. Exactly, mm -hmm. as us humans are. Yes, wildly imperfect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's my TED talk on, on captchas. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it was TED talk time. Yeah, Cameron. Mm -hmm. uh, Cameron's but, corner. Cameron's corner. Uh, I thought there was like a, kind of a decent-ish car chase in this, though, when they're on the hover bike chasing after IU7 in the car and the police are after them, too. Like, it's like decently well animated and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, got a, a good pace to it and it's got some like little twists and turns and stuff. I thought that was like, you know, fairly well done, all things considered. Uh, I forgot this was this episode. I, I want to talk about how Zeta like uses his uh, impression system like very well in this episode. Uh, oh, yeah. He's yeah. actually a really effective infiltration robot this time. Yeah, so he they have to find a way... Because the police have already surrounded the house by the time they get there. Uh, and so they set up their James Corden. They, they set up their James Corden. Uh, he's in the middle of the street just doing his Broadway thing, really getting in the way. Exactly. He's still in his cat's costume. Yeah. It's very confusing. Mm -hmm. It's just the, the suit with all the balls on it. Yes. But for some reason, he drew on whiskers and has a tail. Yeah. But also, despite wearing the cat's costume, he's doing his part from Into the Woods. Yes. So we're really just thrown. Mm-hmm. He's uh, forced Emily Blunt to be there with him. Yeah. I mean, it's really just an audition tape to host the, the Tonys one more time. That's true, yeah. Um, so he... So Zeta first uh, impersonates kind of the, like... The, 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 the sergeant in charge yeah, or whatever. Yeah, the, the site yeah. captain. And he goes up to one of the soldiers, one of the officers, like, hey, you guys take the left flank. 
because that's where he's going to be. So mm-hmm. they all run that way. Well, he says specifically, hey, go. We're going to send in a video expert to send our guys off to the, the, yeah, the west flank so that mm-hmm. he's distracted. Yeah. Uh, and so then he takes the image of the officer he just took or talked to and went to the other side. I'm like, that's clever. Yeah. No, like, I mean, to like make sure you're not going to get caught. Exactly. Yeah. So he like knew the right people to impersonate in the right time. He impersonates a video expert and goes inside, um, carrying Rowan his back like a backpack. Like that is a moment where I'm like, oh, he's actually being good at what he's supposed to be good at doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will see that not carry through into the next episode nope. at all. But I mean, like, again, they have moments of cleverness. I think they just tend to cut a lot of corners as well. And I don't think that's necessarily their fault. Yeah. Uh, the final major question I have here is, who does Agent Lee work for now? Just the the police. Well, because she shows up at the end, because it's an NSA squad comes in to uh, recapture IU-7. Mm-hmm. So cause I, they at least answered what was going to be a criticism of mine. Because initially, it seemed like it was just the normal police were there. And I was thinking, did the NSA not notice that a whole bunch of parts for one of their missing infiltration units getting shipped to a house. Yeah. Well, they, they made, they did have a throwaway line of like, Bennett's going to be yeah, here soon. The NSA is on its way. And then Roe and Zeta assume it's going to be Bennett. Turns out it's not Bennett. It's just like a, a different squad shows up, but it's led by agent Lee, who of course let Zeta go. Mm-hmm. So I guess she still works with the NSA just in a different department now. She's on Shaq's department. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, Shaq's going to be in the next five episodes. Yeah, that's what we were thinking of. He's not in a lot of Static Shock right, episodes, right, yeah. but he's, he's, he's the head of the NSA. The whole latter half of the Zeta episodes, mm-hmm. playing himself in the future, but that man has not aged. No. Still looks great. Still moves great. Still moves, yeah. I mean, you thought his knees would be shone after all those years in sports, but man, he's no. good. He takes very good care of himself. Uh, I, I was very unimpressed by the final fight scene. Yeah. Mainly because we have kind of the two indestructible robots. It's like, how do you fight two? Indi- I mean, you know, it's they can make Superman and Darkseid interesting. So why can't they make this interesting? Because you're not invested in these characters. That's very true. Like, you're just not. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to is you don't really care about IU-7. And, like, uh, I, and, there was, I, and there was no, because in the last fight, we had the, the, the Chekhov's magnet. Yes. Uh, and so we kind of ha- like we knew what it was building up to where with this, like they're in the middle of the fight. There's a minute and a half left of the episode. Uh, like, well, how are they? Like, we have no reason to believe that Zeta has gotten any stronger or smarter because there's been no character development yeah. ever in the show. Uh, so how is he going to take him out? And then it's the last second. He's like, oh, his brain is exposed. Pull it out of his chest. Yeah. Uh, Again, I think... Which we as the audience don't ever see because it's always no. just black. Yeah. Again, I think they were riding towards a bigger moment and then just had to take a shortcut. You know what it should have been? Mm. An army of delivery drones God, coming up. Yes. Like, <laughs> Revenge, our brothers. We need your thumbprint. They go on strike. Yeah. <clears throat> no, they, they do the, uh, the honeybee tactic. Where they all just uh, surround him and use friction to just melt him. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry, what? That's actually what bees do. If a wasp tries to get into a beehive, bees will basically surround it and then shake their bodies next to each other at such speed that it will melt the, the wasp inside them. 
How fucking metal is that? Like, they don't just sting him? No. That's crazy. Isn't that awesome? It's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's no wonder we're trying to get rid of all the bees. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. I know. They could friction the shit out of us sometimes. Yeah. Think of the... <laughs> Never mind. Is that... Is that a good or terrible way to die? Oh, terrible. Because that's, that's not a fast death. No, that's a very slow death. Mm-hmm. But it's also a really absurd death. It is. Like... Oh, how did he die? Like, was it a car accident? Was it cancer? It's like, oh no, he was attacked by a swarm of bees and they just like rubbed up against him until he melted. Yeah, they rubbed <laughs> they rubbed up against him until he died. He got he got rubbed out by a bunch of bees. Yeah. I'm saying this here now. <laughs> I'm Don't o- put that in my obituary. <laughs> I am okay dying in this manner. Yes. What, what was but it you in- have to tell everyone that's how I died. What was it that Carrie Fisher Demanded was put in her obituary. Uh, it's like I died because I suffocated from my bra in space. Sure. Do you not remember that story? I'm like, you're now making me look this up. Okay, here we go. <sighs> Found it mm-hmm. from Variety. Carrie Fisher had just one request for her obituary. As she put it, in wishful drinking, I wanted it reported that I drowned in moonlight, strangled by my own bra. Yeah. Uh, the, the anecdote is, George comes up to me the first day of filming, he takes one look at the dress and says, you can't wear a bra under that dress. So I say, okay, I'll buy it. Why? And he says, because there's no underwear in space. Exactly. What happens is you go to space and you become weightless. So far, so good, right? But then your body expands, but your bra doesn't. So you could get strangled by your own bra. Now, I think this would make for a fantastic obit. So I tell my younger friends, and no matter how I go, I want reported that I drown in moonlight, strangled by my own bra. Yeah, I wasn't making it up. (laughs) What a fucking legend. I miss her so much. Oh, my God. The world really is just a little bit less fantastic with her absence. Mm -hmm. God damn it. Uh, all right. And on that sad, sad note, should we move on to the next episode of yeah. Zeta? Hunt in the Hub. Hunt in the Hub. Um, this is potentially my nightmare. Getting trapped in... Uh, no, a city that is just an airport. Oh, I thought your nightmare was getting trapped without access to money. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of scary, too. But has, I mean, that ever, has that ever happened to you? Um... Uh, Kind of. I lost my credit card when I was in Europe. Okay. Uh, when I was in seventh grade. And I had no money. But I was still with a bunch of, like, I was in a group. Can I clarify something in that story? Was it a credit card or a debit card? Debit card. card. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, what seventh grader has access to a credit Debit card. card. Your debit card. Okay. Yes. Because that, it, but you had, like, other people around you who were able to, like, spot you. Yeah. And okay. I was too scared to call my mom because I was afraid she was going to yell at me uh, to tell her that I lost it. And just because it would have taken two days for a new one to get to me. Yeah. Uh, and I still had like 10 days left of this trip. So what Wait, what did you do? Did you just have your friends spot you money for the whole rest of the trip? Yep. And then what happened? Did you then go home and be like, hey, I lost my debit card, but it's been missing for like a week and a half? Uh, no, I didn't tell her for like months. That's worse. Yeah. Because then someone could be using the debit card. I mean, no, I threw it away to McDonald's. I knew exactly what happened to it. 
Yeah. You want to say something? Everything you say is just more you than the last statement. (laughs) I can't. That's why I love you, Cameron. Yep. Uh, Okay. So in case you guys hadn't been able to tell yet, the whole point of this episode is they're trapped inside a city-sized transportation hub without access to money. But do you think uh, the writers just saw the terminal and was like, yep, we want to write that? Yeah, exactly. Actually, wait, when did the terminal come out? 2003. This came out first? Yeah. The terminal copied this. The terminal, based off the real-life story of the guy, Steven copied Spielberg this episode. Watch this episode of Zeta. Mm-hmm. Can confirm. Yeah, it came on after a rerun of Animaniacs, and he's like, well, let's see what this is. This is garbage. Wow, but, a man stuck in an airport. Yeah. How but, fascinating. But what if this robot were played by Tom Hanks? What if? Yes. And what if Roe were played by Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yeah. Okay. Never seen it. It's a great movie. Is I, it? I, it is. I, I do recommend it. Okay. I mean, it was Oscar nominated. Was it? I think so. Mm. For what it, Oscar? Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Best costume. <laughs> yeah. They did such an amazing job just slowing, showing the slight wear and tear on his suit over the three months or whatever he stuck inside the terminal. But no, it's so I mean, the, the real life guy was stuck there for like, like 20 years. What? Yeah, it was, he was there for a long time. 20 years? 20 oh, sorry, years, 2004 Cameron? was when the movie came out. Based off the guy who's stuck in, in JFK for 18 years. What? Yeah, from 1988 to 2006. But it was not JFK. It was in Paris. Okay, well, I believe 18 years, but 20 years? Come on, Cameron. Sorry. How am I how can I be so crazy? But no, so to get back to the plot of this episode, loosely based on the real-life story upon which... This the film terminal is based. Yes. Uh, they go to track down this guy, Dr. Boyle, who worked with um, Dr. Zelig to build Zeta, but he was the um, kind of like the environmental systems expert. So he was the guy who knew how to design Zeta and the other infiltration robots so that they could handle crazy inclement weather. A fact that never comes up again. Yeah. Um, but so they track this guy down to the hub because he never pops up with a net, but he happens to be changing planes in the hub. Zeta goes to introduce himself, and when he goes to shake his hand, uh, Dr. Boyle puts on a microchip onto Zeta's hand that is molecularly bonded that deactivates Zeta's infinite credit card. Yes. I what, will what say, a plot point. I, I mean, it's kind of silly, but at the same time, I like their acknowledging how reliant Zeta is on that ability. Mm -hmm. Like it actually is a huge element of him being able to do what he does. Yeah. Who would have guessed money can get you whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, they could obviously just go like retire somewhere and live like an amazing life because no one's really hunting them anymore. Well, they only, their only lead is when Zeta signs onto the web or the net. So they could just go like, Chill Anywhere on some else. island for the rest of their lives. They could continue to not hunt people, and the NSA will just let him go. They don't actively hunt him; they reactively hunt him. Yeah. Uh, but also at the same time, what is stopping Zeta from just turning into like? Yes, I, I do understand that there is a problem once they leave, but why can't he just impersonate like one of the the weirdly dressed uh, stewardesses? Nothing. Yeah. And just get on a plane to get out of there. And also, in the beginning, their big thing is uh, Dr. Boyle is like, you're trapped here forever. There's nothing you can do to ever escape this place until you get money. 
but then they're like, oh, security's here to kick you out, but we don't want to be kicked out. Like, wasn't the whole point of they're trapped? Yeah. It, it is a little bit weird because he, so. And can she not just get a job? It's a whole city. That's true. They have. I was really hoping that she would have to get a job. I, well, I thought initially that the, those uniforms, I mean, they're obviously inspired by hot dog on a stick, but I thought it was actual employees from a, just like a local hot dog on a stick inside this transportation city. Yeah. It's but, the main sponsor of, of, the, of the hub. The hot dog on a stick? Yeah. But like, what is the future version of hot dog on a stick? Uh, like, so it, it would be the same gimmick, uh, but the, the stick would be just like a... It would be like a hover thing. I feel like it's the it's, hovering hot dog. The hovering hot dog. I was say maybe it's like a like like sausage links on a lightsaber sort of thing. Oh, they're cooked internally. Yeah, exactly. Like you just grab like a little like a little kind of uh, appetizer knife and like you push a button, a little laser comes out and like spears the the hot dog mm-hmm. and then it cooks on the inside. You walk around just like uh, you want. Uh, sabers and skewers. Ooh, okay. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, well, it has to be like a future food, but something beyond Soylent, because Soylent's always just the go-to. Soylent on a stick. There we go. Yeah. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just like, it's solid Soylent on a stick. Yes. Enjoy. Just a giant cube. Yeah. On a tiny little stick. <laughs> I need it. Uh, but so there, so Boyle puts his chip on Zeta. It deactivates his ability to use the infinite credit card. And Boyle's like, here, try out this arcade machine to see if I'm telling the truth. He tries it. And then the system is designed so that if you don't have money on whatever card you try to use, it notifies security who has a really, really militant stance on vagrancy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, every security guard in the entire building is rushing to go track down the vagrants inside the hub. Could you imagine if this was like Grand Central Station? Where they're like, oh, someone without money in Grand Central Station, let's throw them in jail. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that more, more or less might happen already. I think it does. To be perfectly honest, if we're, if we're being really blunt about this. Um, okay, also, I will say this too. This episode aired in April of 2002. So we are now living in the post-9-11 world. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing they didn't at least think about the fact that inside of a major transportation hub, all the security is worried about a homeless person. Yeah. I feel like this was written after 9-11. Maybe things should be slightly different. We no longer have that excuse of it's pre-9-11, this is why their transportation system is so loose. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they, they did have security to get like through like from, from the, the hub area to their plane. Yeah. But also at the same time, we saw multiple instances of like, oh, we can just sneak onto like different aspects. Yeah. Hold on. He was in like the exhaust terminal. Couldn't they have just gotten on a jet through there? Yeah. Just fly off. Yeah. Just singing. I'm leaving on a jet plane. Mm-hmm. Don't know when I'll be back again. Is that a song? Yes. What song? Leaving on a jet plane. I've never heard that song. Have you seen Armageddon? No. You've never seen Armageddon? No, I saw the other one. Deep Impact? No, the other one. <laughs> what other one? I don't know. <laughs> I, haven't seen, I haven't seen either of them. There were two, not three. <laughs> What's the other one? I don't know. I was hoping you had another one no. prepared. <laughs> no, because there's, like there's a whole scene with Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler where they're having a picnic 
and her shirt's undone, but she's still wearing her bras. They're not hooking up, but she's just, I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. There's animal crackers. It's, it's 90s hooking up. Exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's Ben Affleck's getting to one and a half bases. Yeah, it's over the bra second base. Exactly. Okay. But so they're, they're trapped in the thing. And yeah, so the, the security is super militant about getting rid of vagrants, but also this totally works against what Boyle needs them to do, which is sneak around the place and steal a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But now they're trying to do that while, while security is hunting them everywhere they go. Yes. Which they should already be doing because they're wanted criminals already. Of course. Yes. But they have to steal a bunch of stuff to help Boyle build some sort of space probe. Yes. And... Over the course of them trying to get all these different things, the NSA shows up. So in this time now, it's uh, Agent West and Agent Rush, mm-hmm. who has replaced Agent Lee and is much, much better at being aggressive and hunting down Zeta. so much meaner to West. So much meaner to West. Um, but they show up by coincidence. And I, what I was impressed by, West does one thing right. Crashes a car in the middle of, in the middle of an airport? Before that, though, he accurately spots Roe and Zeta, even though... That's true. They were in disguise. Both were in disguise. So mm-hmm. let's give him some credit before they... But not, he... not transformed in disguise, just wearing different clothes. Yes. Zeta was still in his typical human form. Yeah, but like wearing like a mustache and a security uniform. Yeah. But I mean, he tried and then he like, yeah, crashed like a go-kart into a bridge and the whole Do thing Do you think collapsed. it was like an actual like, like clip-on mustache and just forgot that he could grow one himself? Absolutely it was. Yeah. Further confusing the is it a hard light hologram or not yeah. debate. Because <laughs> things can just pass through it, but he can also stick on a fake mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also did love in this episode that finally someone points out the fact that Zeta is really terrible at being an infiltration robot. Yeah, the guy that built him. Yes. So really, it's his fault. No, it is, because like... He is the guy. Boyle's even like, you should be able to do this. This is what you're designed to do. Yeah. He's still not very good at it. So I don't know. I kind of like that. I mean, it's, I don't know. There's some moments in here. Like, I was about to look for some good ones, but I just had more critiques. Like, it was so, okay. It's so bizarre. Like, Zeta goes to steal. Apparently, there's excess copper wiring on a spaceship. Mm Mm-hmm. One. Just in case you need it. There's there's not. Yeah. There's just and it's not dangling down by the thrusters where it can get melted. Mm-hmm. But Zeta's able to go like that's the thing. So it's supposed to be so like heat resistant that it can survive like being near the jet fuselage. But at the same Which time Zeta cannot be near. Yeah. Because it's so hot that he wouldn't he would he would, he would melt. But Zeta can just like cut it with his laser mm-hmm. and like just take a little sample and like re-weld it together. But then we realize, like, oh, Zeta's actually in the wrong tube, and the thing lights up, and we think, like, oh, he's got to find some sort of clever way to escape. He just escapes. He just jumps. He just jumps and, like, is hit by a bunch of flames but closes the door, and it's fine. Again, the potential for, like, a real moment, and they just shortcut it. Um, And then they, they trick Boyle into getting exposed by Zeta putting on a Boyle hologram. Yeah, yeah, but Boyle basically says, like, you're under my control forever because I'm not the one being hunted. You're the one being hunted yeah. and I'm your only means of escape, which is not true, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so then it's like, all right, well then let's implicate you in the crime as well. And then mm-hmm. he gets arrested. Yes. And then they get away because they ride first class and the NSA. Agents I, I loved that, that joke. Cause it was so like posh and wonderful. 
Yeah. Because uh, they're so they're on the flight, and they just got out of their disguise. Uh, and Zeta's like, "Oh, the NSA, they're on this flight. We need to get off as soon as possible." Uh, and Rose like, "No, there's something I've learned about them chasing us for so long." And then the camera kind of pans out, and they close the door to first class. And it's like, government agents fly coach. And I'm like, is that supposed to be like an insult? <laughs> it, it's, I was wondering who that was targeted at. Yeah. yeah. Who are they making fun of here? Because no animator flies first class. I can tell you that now. No. Uh, no most writers probably don't fly first yeah. class. Also, a children's cartoon telling a bunch of children, don't ever become a government employee. Yeah. They'll force you to fly coach while criminals fly first class. Yes. For free. Yes. Off stolen money. See, this is the sort of lessons they re replaced in season two. We don't have any more of the little, like, it's a light bulb. Instead, it's, here's the belief future you can look forward to. Yeah, it, it's a continuation of money gets you whatever you want. Yes. <laughs> Which is the most valuable lesson a kid should learn. Exactly. So no matter how you need to get it, just get it. That and life gets worse. Yeah, always. Yes. Well, that being said, I, I have a theory I'm going to peak at 40. Okay. But then after 40, it's all downhill. Mm -hmm. me, you don't think you've peaked? Fuck you. <laughs> You're the second person that has said that to me. <laughs> and now that's in my head. Oh, cute. You don't I, think you've peaked? <laughs> wait. Cameron, when was my peak? I don't know. I think it's more like a hump. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm on the downward side. No, you still, you, still got a, you still got some good years left. We still have like two years until we even get to Justice League. That's true. I've been put down by then. <laughs> I've got those feeble bones. <laughs> I, wait, Papa, is that you? I've explained to you that I'm like genetically like a golden retriever. Have I ever explained to you this theory? Mm -mm. So the thing with golden retrievers is that they're like so inbred at this point that a lot of goldens will get illnesses, you know, around like seven, eight years old. You know, we've had that happen with some of our dogs over the years, too. It's like they're prone to all kinds of diseases because they're often inbred. And not that I am actually inbred, but let's be honest, there's a lack of genetic diversity in my life. I have blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, those are some very potent recessive genes that uh, take very specific circumstances to have happen. So we're going to just go ahead and say not a lot of genetic diversity here. My family is known for having all of the fun things, Alzheimer's, arthritis, dementia, cancer, like, I am like a golden retriever. Like, I'm going to get taken out at a young-ish age by one of those things. Exactly. Uh, if with any luck, it'll happen right after I turn 40. Yeah. Hit my peak, instant downward spiral, get taken out nice and quickly. Exactly. Yes. We were, I don't remember who I was having this conversation with. I was talking to someone about, like, if you want to become a Black Widow... How to clarify a black widow being a person who marries, kills their spouse, takes their money, and then repeats. Yes. So in other words, like a Madeline Kahn from Clue. Although I realize now that is the wrong reference to use is that for a movie? you. Yes. Um I don't who was I talking to? I was talking to someone about this. It's like it it what what's like the golden age to find someone to marry in a way to steal their money? Like Age for you as the Black Widow, or age for them as age for the, them as the victim. Not not in sense of age, because we, we were joking about like, oh, we're just gonna like do laps around a hospital. Uh, but it, it's not their age; it's their expected time left. Like, what's that golden like the golden hour 
like how much time I said 14 months. Wait, so you're actually talking about finding someone who is like knocking on death's door. Yes. Not someone who's of a, a, a more virile no, age. No, if I were to be a black them. widow. Yes. Okay. So you, mm-hmm. you were trying to find some like very old woman who is just lonely mm-hmm. and has a bunch of money and be with her for approximately 18 months. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out what's that time. Cause like you can't go, I think under six months is too fast. Yeah. Cause they don't have time to trust you and develop that relationship. But also anything over like two and a half years is too much time because then you're then you're emotionally connected to that point. I do want to point out that this makes you (laughs) specifically the Lex Luthor that's in Superman Returns. Who marries a Gertrude or whatever, waits for her to die and then takes her entire fortune. Yeah, exactly. To then try and build a continent. Yeah. What else are you going to do with all that money? Disney's already buying all the islands. That's absolutely true. Yeah, not gonna retire. There's nowhere to retire to. Exactly. <laughs> Land. Yeah. Not making any more of it. People always need it. Exactly. Genius Lex Luthor. Uh, so yeah, 14 months I think is the like the the golden time. 14 months. Okay. All right. So I, if I ever see you get married, I should know that I should just not bother getting invested in that relationship because it's gonna be done in 14 months. Yeah. The person's gonna be dead. Do you have any notes from friends? I was going to say, I think we're good on Zayda at this point, considering how little we talked about that episode. Not much to say anyway. So let's, yeah, let's go ahead and do uh, some notes from friends here. Um, not a lot really. Oftentimes when we do these like one-off episodes, we don't have as many notes from friends. Uh, but we did get a message from dear old Shane, our, our frequent guest and the, Shane. the third leg of the tripod that is the Burger Fan Club. He wrote in to say that he agreed with us on being so frustrated for the coverage of the Star Wars D23 footage. Yeah, and like I didn't realize the trailer was gonna come out the next day. Yeah, but still, like they didn't but, know that either. Well, no, that's exactly. It. I mean, it, it's still a matter of being like irresponsible journalism. Now, look, let's acknowledge it's ridiculous for me to be claiming irresponsible journalism about reporting pieces of footage on a movie that will come out in a short period of time off of a specific clip that came out a day later in the world that we live in in terms of like bad news coverage. This is not even like a footnote on that broader conversation, mm-hmm. but we're going to have it. <laughs> but I mean, we're, we're in we're in a world where clickbait titles are how you get yeah. views. And so when you even just from that perspective, saying, hey, Ray's evil, With come a, check out the trailer. That's not yeah. a clickbait headline. Yeah, it, that's exactly it. Like it doesn't actually serve your purpose. No one's going to click on that link being like, oh, my God, tell me more tell me more like does she have a car they're gonna look yeah. at that and go why would i click on this you've already told me yeah exactly <laughs> i've already got the car facts on it like i already know what happens like geek tyrant got me to click because they mentioned like oh like the shocking moment in the footage I'm like well the footage is coming out eventually probably anyways and if it's publicly released then whatever that's fine i'll look at it that got me to click but if it's just here's the thing you didn't want to know in the headline. No one is going to fucking click on it. Mm-hmm. So from both perspectives, it's bad journalism. IO nine, even to the point where like, it doesn't take a lot of work. If you, you could have kept the look. So a lot of people were taking like the screen cap and sharing that around. I don't think they should even be doing that. I, I think if they want to do something like that, cover the face. Cause that, like, but that, I mean, cause I mean, it doesn't really show her body. 
It's a, it's a waste upshot. No, I, I think even then, like, you don't... No. If that's... If that is... If you are trying to have that moment be a reveal within your article, mm-hmm. don't have any sort of tease on it on the front page. Actually write something that makes someone want to click. If you're going to be a clickbait journalist, at least be good at being a clickbait journalist. Yes. Um, that's always all we had was just that one thing. But uh, as we were doing before we took our, our brief hiatus, uh, I'm reading off some of the kind reviews that we've been getting. Oh, yay. Uh, on, up on iTunes, because uh, apparently that is helpful if we get reviews. So if you don't mind going and reviewing us and writing a last little note, uh, apparently it'll help put us higher up in the standings, which apparently we need. Because when I went to go try and find these reviews, when I went to iTunes and I typed in Tim Talk, we didn't show up in like the initials thread. When I then That's went, impressive. When I then went, like, is the name of the fucking podcast. When I then went to go look at all podcasts related to the Tim Talk, we still didn't show up. And iTunes' suggestion at the bottom was, if you're not seeing what you're looking for, try being less specific with your search parameters. Did you just do Tim Talk or Tim Talk Pod? I did Tim Talk, but I went to iTunes where we're listed as Tim Talk. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's impressive. I know. So, guys, please go write us some nice reviews. We apparently really desperately need it. Um, okay. But this is from uh, Tim STWR, Tim Star, Tim Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. What? Is that, isn't that what Tony's name was at, uh, in Endgame? What? When he got mail at the end of Endgame, or maybe in Tony Endgame. Stank. That's what it was. Okay. That was Civil War. Was that Civil War? Yes, it was Civil oh, War. Shit, that was so long ago. Oh my God, I can't even with you. Uh, but this is from Tim Stewart, not from Tony Stank, from uh, October of 2018. And it says, This podcast is the best! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Thank you for all of those. Thanks, Tim. Uh, I seriously wish they came out daily. Well, Tim, thank you for wishing they did. We're not gonna. That's never gonna happen. Uh, you are lucky we get them out weekly, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it is a strain. But regardless, thank you, Tim, for the, uh, the nice review, and thank you for listening. All right, so uh, Cameron, what do you have in terms of bat plugs? Uh, we want to talk about The Boys, right? Yes, yeah. So uh, I finally finished The Boys. I quite liked it. It's really good. It is really good. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's got some good music thrown in there, good performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't love that it has a cliffhanger ending. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that's is the, the, is that's the a comic thing. run done. I don't. I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, but I think the comic's actually quite a bit different than the show, from what I've heard. Yeah. This this feels very, very topical. Yeah. And, very but, topical. But I, but I think never really in a clunky way, though. Like they definitely go after the news. They go after religion. Um, sexual harassment sexual harassment fanaticism like they they go for a lot of very prescient topics but Mm -hmm. never in a way that feels really ham-fisted or clunky or forced no like it it feels like it's integrated in the story yeah it feels like it is like they they're you know it wasn't like there was an episode where the normal story's happening and then someone pulls out a joint it's like is that weed aquaman it's like, yeah, man, it helps me get through the day. It's like, but I heard it's so bad for you. It's like, nah, it's like, nah man. man. Come on, just try a puff. It's good for you. And then it's like the dramatic music and the zoom in and out on the yeah. joint. This is clearly the animated PSA that inspired the casting of Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Yes. 
<laughs> but no, like I, I quite liked it. But so the, the question I had for you though was, and I made reference to this at the, the top of the show. This is very much um, undercutting the concept of superheroes, right? It's it's a it's a subversion. It's a commentary, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's self aware. It's meta. It's a nod to all of this. It is not a really sincere take on superheroes. So I'm curious from your perspective, how much longer do you think that more sincere take is going to be? Like, I think Marvel is kind of the only one really still doing it. Well, because everyone else tried and failed at it. Yeah. Like, I mean, like even DC is already kind of like thrown in the hat on that and they're going for like weird different versions. I mean, Aquaman's a pretty sincere take on a superhero. Shazam. <laughs> so yeah, Shazam very is sincere. Kind of like even Shazam like, has its own element of like meta commentary on modern day heroics and stuff like that and fandom. Whereas a lot of that really isn't part of the MCU. Like for the most part, the MCU MCU is still doing like modern commentary on things, but it's not, it's never meta about heroes. It evolves Mm -hmm. and goes different directions, but it's never a commentary on itself in the same way that like the boys is a superhero show. There's a commentary on superhero shows. Well, I think, Weirdly enough, thinking about it now, a lot of... Well, I mean, one, it, it connects to, like, Marvel. Everyone gets their powers through happenstance, where DC, most people are kind of just born with it. Yeah. Maybe uh, she's born with it. Yeah. Maybe it's Maybelline. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, the way they set up the MCU, they all got their powers kind of connected to the government. So, like, Tony was an arms dealer. Bruce worked... You know, he less connected, but Bruce was with. Um, well, I mean, yeah, he um, what, what's, he had a relationship dad? Uh, with General Ross. That's his name. Yeah, so he had a connection with the military. Obviously, the serum him is inspired by Steve's serum. Mm-hmm. Hawkeye comes out of the government. Black Widow. Black Widow. Falcon. Um, uh, Winter Soldier. Uh, um, uh, even Scarlet Witch was a government that's true. Uh, project. Yeah. So a lot of them come from the government. It's kind of everyone except Thor. Yeah. I mean, does anyone here not earn their living one way or the other from the government? Mm-hmm. That's also another clue reference. Oh, is it? It is, yes. <laughs> Great. Uh, in clue, they all have some sort of connection to the government. Okay. Capacity. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, what this means to us is that Clue was the proto-Avengers. It was. Yeah. Absolutely. Who killed Thanos? I don't know. <laughs> I would totally. I would watch that. Or I would even play that game. Someone give me an MCU clue. Yeah, where everyone is a different Avenger. Yeah. And you find Thanos dead on the... It, you could rotate the villains. It could be Thanos, Ultron, or Loki. Right. And then if it's Loki, you find out he's not actually dead. Who killed Walton Goggins' character from Ant-Man and the Wasp? Sunny Beach. Is that his name? That's maybe. No. It wasn't actually. I don't think he died, though. Sunny Birch? Sunny. I don't know. What's I'm not going to rewatch What's his name movie? actually Sunny Beach? We'll go with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But no, like, but okay, you're right. Like, in the MCU, they all have kind of a central organization that they're more or less splintered off of, whereas DC is kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I feel like it's going to be a sense of, like, the altered hero's journey or hero's story is just going to be a subgenre. So we're still going to have 
the overall genre of heroes because mm-hmm. you know the the hero's journey story is never going to die no it's the template of everything yeah um that's why i think we will just see subver- like the subgenre will just be the subversion of the hero's journey okay but so <clears throat> no so your your question is do you do i think this is going to kill the other uh no, no it's not so much as going to kill i mean kind of but you look at um like this umbrella academy those are both stories that are kind of embracing their superheroics to a degree, but Watchmen. also subverting them. Yeah, I mean, Watchmen was the you know the original, and mm-hmm. there's a, a fair argument to be made that Watchmen the movie just came out too soon. Yes, right. Like imagine so that's where we're getting the TV series. Exactly. Yeah. So, but imagine like Watchmen the movie like as it exists, like in a really sincere form, coming out now. I think would land better than it did when it. Oh, came absolutely. In back in the day, but yeah, I guess my my question is, we're now getting these these stories where like the best versions of superheroes we're seeing are ones that are also subversions of superheroes. Like the umbrella Academy is based on the version of X-Men that we've always kind of wanted to see, but acknowledges that if the X-Men were real, they'd be super fucked up mm-hmm. given the circumstances, but it's a great show. And it also has genuinely really good heroics in it. So I'm just wondering how much longer, it's not necessarily a question of when the bubble is going to burst, but how much longer are we still going to be able to do the really earnest, sincere versions of these stories and is anyone really outside of marvel going to be capable of doing it i think so i think it, it's just going to be a wave okay we're kind of at the the point of the because also think of where our influences are the people who are writing directing and making the movies and tv shows now are the people that grew up on the 80s style yeah late or mid 80s to early 90s where everyone was just gritty and mean and kind of quote-unquote real yeah um so i think you know as as years go by, we're going to go back up to that. Cause we're at the point where, yeah, that's kind of what's popular mm-hmm. is the over realism of here, of, of the superhero. Um, so I think we will get to a point where we do need that idol again. Yeah. We are going to get to the point of like heroes being this untouchable stance of moral, you know, our untouchable moral compass. Yeah. Uh, cause uh, alongside of this being, you know, uh, like a real version of heroes, I see this as like, you know, the golden age of Hollywood where the yeah, actors, the actors of back in the day were so idolized that they could do whatever they wanted. And there's stories that are coming out now of like, Oh yeah. You know, these guys were fucking assholes and people would be in bars at night and make fights and, and attack people. And then they would have a cleanup guy they would come in, they'd pay off everyone in the bar, they'd drive them off before the press got there, they'd pay off the press yeah. to make it so, you know, Humphrey Bogart's story of how he punched a guy in the face at a bar never got out. Is that an actual story? No, I just, just picking people Humphrey together. Humphrey Bogart was a gentleman, sir. I know, I'm sorry for even yeah. uh, and, insinuating such a thing. How dare you. Um, you know, who, was, who was the head of MGM back in the day? Louis B. Mayer? Yeah, yeah, Louis B. Mayer. There's hundreds of stories about him... And um, I just had his name the other day, and I, I already forgot it. His, his head bodyguard. Oh, yeah. I don't remember the name. The but... one who supposedly killed the original Superman. Oh, um, George Reeve? Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, but like, this is kind of what, to some degree, the movie um, uh, Hail Caesar was all about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is all this just a cover-up? Yeah, all these like spin doctors making sure that none of the real reality gets out. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I, I love that element of it. Like I love that the villain in this was 
the organization mm-hmm. really and we won't really go into spoilers like that's kind of set up in the the trailers and stuff like that but, yeah you know, this idea that there's this company that creates not like really creates heroes but like oversees the heroes and like creates their personas and puts them into the public space and at the end of it like they're the ones who are really kind of causing a lot of the problems um i i love that idea i think that was a really interesting take well, it reminds it. me a lot mm-hmm. of uh the sidekick books yeah, actually, there's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the um, with the not your sidekicks, the sidekick squad books. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. I just I feel like now it'd be really hard to do a movie in the vein of like the original Superman films. Like those were just like really earnest, sincere, inspirational stories of heroism. And I feel like now, as a society, we're a lot more cynical, and it's harder to do those sort of takes. Um, and I, I think Marvel's the last one that still knows how to toe that line well, where, mm-hmm. you know, like, Cap is still that kind of paragon of virtue, but he's also flawed, and it even acknowledges that his his moral code is outdated, mm-hmm. and as a result, that has consequences, that has negative consequences. Like, so I, mean, I guess in a sense, there is this sort of, like, slightly meta take on it, but it's a little bit more thematic meta rather than, like, structural and plot-wise meta. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm trying to think if we could ever get like a genuine Superman story again. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously still want to see it. I love Superman as a character, but you know, I mean, even we were talking about Young Justice right when he arrived, because I'm I'm catching up on it. And like even that asks a lot of questions about heroism, but especially this season, it you know, it's playing a lot with the idea of like how far can you go as a hero while still being a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your objective is to fight the bad guys, at what point do you start to adopt their own methods? You know, and oh yeah, and that's a big, especially in these last couple episodes, that's a yeah. huge topic. Well, and I mean, that's all. That's kind of the point of the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. right? Is that it? That's exactly what happens in that story. It's you know, uh, what is the the cost of heroism in, in a lot of ways? So I, I don't know. I mean, I I really like the boys. I'm excited for a second season. Same. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just kind of curious where in general, hero stories go from here. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, I, it's, my last point is going to be, it's the topic that I bring up most often on this podcast, and it's we're still in this this realm of realism takes precedent over everything. Yeah. We need to get to the point where, what's, what's the opposite of realism? Uh, it's not, uh, oh God, we, we just have that essay, that video essay. Yeah, like, I know. Whatever the word is. Yeah. We, once we, it's not surrealism. No. Um, formalism? Yes, formalism. Um, we're still in the, in the realism bubble. I hope it pops soon. I'm so bored of it. I, the, not, not even pops. Just, I just want formalism to sneak its way back in. Outside of just kind of like indie films. I think it will. Mm-hmm. I think you can even look at specifically the boys as an example of that. So the the story they're telling is very grounded in realism. But even just the fact they have the, like the heroes in really big flash over the top costumes mm-hmm. um, is reflective of that. Yeah. You know, they are they are more formalist costumes. They're they're big and some of them are like big and bright and a little bit garish. And I can see it it swinging back that direction. I mean, at this point, you know, Marvel embraces their costumes more so than ever. It took until the last movie featuring Iron Man to have him in as close to the original Iron Man suit as possible in terms of like the, the red and gold color schemes and even like the slightly pointier, taller, um, like spokes on his helmet and stuff like that. It took the very last point for them to get there. Yeah. So I think they will. 
And I, again, I think even Steve's costume in that is probably the closest we've seen yet to his original costume. Mm. Well, I mean, just beyond the costume, just like the color palette of the film. Yeah, and they're bright. Like, they're bright and colorful, which is nice, too. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think we might start to be able to swing back that way. I think part of the problem is now Marvel does that so well that it's hard to recreate it without having to add some sort of commentary on it. And so I think that's what we're going to continue to see for a long time. Yeah. It's going to be... Because I think The Boys is a commentary on DC films. Oh, absolutely. More so than it is on, on Marvel films. I'm curious to see who does the commentary, satirical approach on Marvel, which I feel like hasn't really been done yet, um, which is hard to do when Marvel is that good what they do and also funny. Yeah. Like, how do you do a satire on a series that is also legitimately funny on its own? Someone will figure it out. Someone will do it. Yeah. We could do that. that we could do us. it. It could be us. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it could totally be us. Yeah. Tim uh, Talk Presents. Do you want to do any other plugs? Uh, I want to talk about Hush as well. Because we both watch Hush. We did watch Hush. Uh, what did you think of Hush? It took a lot of leaps that I was surprised to see. Yeah. Uh, my this, biggest this one is... This would be a full spoiler discussion on Hush. Yeah. So. Uh, my, my biggest disappointment in it is how much they cut out of Bruce and what's-his-face's friendship. Oh, Tommy Elliott's? Yeah, Tommy Elliott's. Uh, like, their, their past. Because we had no flashbacks. He was in three scenes before they killed him. Yeah. Um, and in those, they had no, like, he was never a suspect in any way. And I think that's really disappointing. Yeah, he was never really set up as a, um, a red herring. Mm-hmm. Was there even really a red herring at any point in this story? Not really. So that's kind of like the interesting thing about this is in the, in the, in the movie, they changed the ending, and the twist is that uh, it's actually the Riddler as Hush. So in the comic, they have a kind of a, a they do a sequence of red herrings. So the first person we suspect is Hush is Harvey Dent, mm-hmm. who has been surgically altered to be the original version. So like we have a, like that splash page at the end of Hush in a mask holding Dent's coin, and then at some point he takes the bandages off and realizes oh it's Harvey. He's on the side of good. He's trying to help the. Second red herring is Jason Todd because there's all these references to Jason Todd. The body is missing. There's that whole fight sequence in the graveyard, which has different players in the comic versus the the movie. And then we eventually realize, oh, it's not Jason Todd. So then the reveal is that it's actually Thomas Elliot. Mm -hmm. But even then, we never see his face. So even Bruce is like not 100% certain, even though Tommy says things that only Tommy would know. And then the final reveal as the mastermind of all of this was actually the Riddlers. Like it's a very layered progression. Yeah. And it's this long drawn out mystery that not only are we constantly surprised, but Batman is constantly surprised. This part of what makes it so good is that the world's greatest detective can't figure this out. Yeah. And I feel like they got rid of a lot of that to focus <laughs> on the relationship between uh Bruce and Selena. Yeah. Which that definitely took forefront of that, the story. That's really what this became. Like it, they basically decided to take that as the key element, which I can understand. The, Hush is a complicated story. You have to simplify an adaptation, but you no, know we forgot to talk about what Bruce Tim's sultry books. We will we'll, we'll do that next week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's gonna be a whole bonus episode. A whole, yeah. A whole thing. So I get why they would focus in on that aspect of it because that's kind of the most grounded, is the most emotional, is the most personal, I suppose. So that's really kind of focused on and expanded. 
And there are parts of it I liked. I didn't necessarily love like the montage of them going around and like fighting crime together. That felt a little bit cheesy. Yeah. But I will say, by the time that I realized that they had really drastically shifted away from the comic rather than just simplifying it, that's when I came back on board again. Yeah, because they they kind of scrapped all the Jason Todd stuff. Yeah, which... uh, But still kept the Lazarus Pit subplot. Exactly, yeah. They still kept the part about um, the Riddler using a Lazarus Pit. And I I liked they went a slightly different direction with it. Um, I I think part of my problem was... I liked they changed it, actually. Because then it's something different. It wasn't just a regurgitation. It Mm -hmm. was its own thing. Again, I think my part of my problem was going into it at the same issue coming out of it, which was it just felt a little bit flat. Yeah, which has been our critique on every DC film in the past 10 years. Well, specifically the ones set in this yeah, continuity. Yeah, in this world. And again, I'm not trying to be judgmental on the voice performances because obviously all these actors are like really putting in the effort, but they just feel a little bit hollow in comparison to you know Young Justice, to The Brave and the Bold, to... The DCAU, the one exception to me for that was uh, Jennifer Morrison did Catwoman. Okay. So she was one of the other doctors in-house. She played Kirk's mom in uh, the Star Trek reboot. She was one of the main people in Once Upon a Time, mm-hmm. the TV show. Her performance is fine, but I really believed her in that final sequence when she breaks up with Bruce. Okay. That specific aspect of the performance really landed for me. Because I was a little worried how they were going to deal with that. Because the whole point in the comic was that Bruce still didn't trust her. You know, that she says hush and he thinks that she was part of the conspiracy or not. And he, she realized like, oh, you will always have this edge to you. And they changed it a little bit in this, which is her being like, oh, you will always adhere to your code no matter what. And yeah, because be yeah, she lets Riddler die. Yeah. And she realized like, you will, you will stick to your code even if it means I die. Mm-hmm. And I really believed that, and I believed her performance really in that moment. And that actually felt like a more justified reason for that relationship to end than even the comic did. Mm-hmm. So I thought that part of it was pretty pretty solid. Yeah. But Overall, I just it was it was just okay. It, yeah, it was just it was a little bit flat. Um, but I, I will give them credit for doing something different rather than just sticking to the thing we already knew was going to happen. Mm. So is it worth watching? Would you say? Really you can good. read the comic in two hours. Honestly, I, I think that's what it comes down to is if you're going to, if you haven't, I mean, we spoiled all of it at this point, but I think even if you know what happens in the comic, it's still a really good story and worth reading. Yeah. So, all right. And I think with that, we can go ahead and wrap things up here. We did it. Uh, so Cameron, where can we find you? What What's happening in your social media? What should people be looking out for? Uh, oh, I don't know. I have maybe drawings I'm going to post up soon on oh. at Cameron.Dexter. Uh, that archived page of art. Uh, and if you want to see my face and my Disney adventures and Halloween stuff coming up soon. Oh, it's true, true. You can find that at camdexter underscore adventures. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Where can they find you, Chris? Uh, what I are you at- doing on your social medias? Little to nothing. Yeah. Very little to nothing. Uh, but if you want to see some old Lego photos, I suppose, you can find me at Lordifer on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And you can, of course, find the podcast at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and gmail that's us that's us uh please if you guys would be so gracious go write us a nice review on itunes leaves a little note we'll read it on the air Mm -hmm. um and yeah i think that's it thanks for listening everyone thanks everybody bye see you next week